Ben, thank you for that. That's a great reminder, and that's really what I want to kind of hit home today, is that if you're thinking about witnessing and evangelism in such a way that, that it makes you anxious, that it makes you afraid and, and, and worrying, that it makes you feel guilty, well, then maybe you're thinking about it the wrong way. You know, witnessing shouldn't be intimidating. Maybe you think about witnessing and you think, oh, I just, I'll, I'll come off as unsure of myself, I'll, I'll be awkward. Maybe you worry, what if I can't answer their questions? Or what if I just mess it up? You know, sometimes when people think about being a witness or an evangelist, they think of the street corner preacher who's out there pounding his Bible and yelling at people. Or maybe you think of like a pushy door-to-door salesman trying to close a deal, and nobody wants to be either of those, do they? If that's your impression of witnessing, it's no wonder you feel anxious or intimidated. I'd feel anxious or intimidated thinking about it that way. And I am a preacher, right? (laughs) So we've got to change our vision for what it means to be a witness. Because I believe all of us in this room have a burden. We have a heart for lost people. We want to share the gospel. And so maybe we just feel guilty all the time that we're not doing a better job of sharing the gospel. So what if witnessing wasn't about trying to make a sale or shouting down an atheist or having all the right answers? What if it wasn't about perfectly reciting a memorized presentation? What if we as Christians can be effective witnesses just in the day-to-day conversations, regardless of our personality type. Witnessing doesn't have to induce anxiety. And we shouldn't have to be guilted into sharing the gospel with people. So I want us this morning to reorient our thinking about what it means to, to share the gospel with people. And it starts by just realizing that when Jesus died on the cross, He died on the cross to do more than just to save us so that after we die we go to heaven. He died on the cross so that we could live life now as citizens of His kingdom. He didn't come just to make us religious adherents. He came to bring us into a right relationship with God. Jesus said in Luke 9, 23 and 24, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will save it. Jesus has called us to be disciples first and foremost. And so my first question to you is, have you done that? Have you surrendered your life to Him? As Bob talked about, have you made that decision? That you're going to trust your life to Jesus Christ. Let Him bring the peace and the happiness to you that you've been trying to find in so many other places. My second question is, are you following in His way or are you walking in the world's ways? Are you a follower of Jesus Christ? Because once we are saved, once we know we are following Jesus ourselves, our job then becomes clear. It's to make other disciples for Jesus. Listen, the reason that when you gave your, your, your life to Jesus Christ that you weren't just immediately taken up to heaven, is because, and I think that would really limit our altar calls on Sundays. Don't you think that happened? But I think it's because God has left us here to replicate ourselves, to multiply, to make other followers of Jesus. And the best way we can do that is through simple gospel conversations. Every day. Gospel conversations. And not just with those people who are far from God, 
but also with those who are walking the Christian path with, with us. Listen, we all need people in our lives who are further along the path, who are, who are more knowledgeable in the Bible, who are more mature in their faith. We need other believers like that talking about God with us, don't we? We need those gospel conversations to continue to help us to grow in our faith and in Christ's likeness. That's what Jesus meant in the Great Commission when He said, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. We have those conversations with one another as fellow believers, helping each other learn how to obey Christ. So rather than just thinking of walking a lost person through a witnessing tract, we should refocus our evangelistic vision on having gospel conversations with those who are lost, who are far from God, and continuing those conversations with fellow believers. John chapter 4 gives us a great example of what a gospel conversation can look like. And in this story, Jesus, He's hot, He's tired, He's hungry, He's thirsty. It's in the middle of the day. He and the disciples have been walking for a long time. And so he sits down at this water well under some shade to get some rest, and the disciples reluctantly go into this Samaritan town. They're in a bad, bad part of town, right? They're in a bad neck of the woods. They're in Samaritan territory. And the Jews and the Samaritans did not get along. They did not like each other. Think about Israelis and Palestinians today. That's sort of the same tension that was going on then. And so these disciples did not want to go into the Samaritan town, but Jesus sent them, said, go get something to eat, not just because Jesus was hungry, but because he knew that he had a divine appointment with this woman who was coming to draw water from the well in the middle of the day. And just to put this into context, so here's this woman. She's a Samaritan, okay, already somebody that a Jew would not talk to. She's a woman. So that's somebody that a good Jewish man, especially a rabbi, would not talk to a woman he didn't know. She's coming in the middle of the day. Now, most of the women would come early in the morning when it was cool to draw water for the day. So the fact she's coming in the middle of the day already kind of says that there's something off about her. Something is going on in her life that, that she's not with the rest of the women. And we'll learn from the story that she's a woman who had a really bad reputation. She had lived her life in a way that, that made her ostracized from the other women in town. So Jesus surprises her by engaging her in conversation. She was not expecting this to happen. So let's look at John chapter 4, beginning in verse 4. Now he had to go through Samaria, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour, so about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You're a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. And Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his flocks and his herds? So she's kind of having a little fun with Jesus here. She's sort of mocking his suggestion. Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. 
Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go and call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you've had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you've just said is quite true. Well, this got her attention. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. And then she, you know, changes the the topic of conversation, doesn't she? She says, our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where you must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus declared, believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know. For salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and now has come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit. And His worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that the Messiah is coming. When He comes, He will explain everything to us. And then Jesus declared, I who speak to you and He. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with the woman. But no one asked, what do you want or why are you talking with her? And then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. And then it goes on to say later on that Jesus ended up staying there for three days. And many of the people in that town came to become believers. I want to make a few observations about this exchange to help us think about our approach to gospel conversations. The first is that Jesus was friendly. He wasn't argumentative. He didn't preach at her. It wasn't a monologue. It was a dialogue. You know, you don't need to preach at people. You can engage them in conversation. That means you have to listen at least as much as you talk, right? That's called having a friendly conversation. Paul tells us in Colossians chapter 4, verse 6, let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Peter said it this way, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. So our gospel conversations should be gentle. They should be respectful. They should be full of grace. We have to be winsome if we want to win some for Christ. No one was ever argued into the kingdom of God. And listen, if you try to argue someone into the kingdom, someone else can try to argue them out of the kingdom, right? You might win an argument and lose that relationship and lose that future opportunity to have that gospel conversation. So rather than arguing Jesus gently goes back and forth with the woman, addressing her concerns, answering her questions, giving clear answers to her questions. 2 Timothy chapter 4 says, And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome. Don't be quarrelsome. But must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Opponents, opponents, people who are opposed to you, must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to the knowledge of the truth. And that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. 
That's Jesus' approach. That should be our approach to confront people. Yes, Jesus confronted this woman in her sinful condition, but He did it without being confrontational. You can confront people with the truth in a non-confrontational way. And Jesus never stopped being kind or patient or gentle, even as He boldly shared the truth with her. And it resulted in her repentance and in her trusting in Jesus. So, like Jesus... We need to be friendly in our gospel conversation. Secondly, Jesus asked questions. If gospel conversations are to be friendly, then again, we have to listen as much as we talk. The point of sharing your testimony and sharing the gospel isn't just to make a presentation so you can drop a ping pong ball in a really cool box with lights around it. It's more than just that. Our goal is so much greater than that. It's about making connections. It's about helping people see how God's story connects with your story and then helping them connect that with their stories. And that part is essential. Listen, if you don't help somebody think about how their story connects with the gospel, you failed in your gospel conversation. A failure isn't whether or not they make a profession of faith in Christ. That part's out of your hands, right? You can't make someone become a follower of Jesus. That's not your job. But whether you're intentional enough to listen to their story and to try to help them discover how their story connects with the gospel, that is something that we can do. If you remember a couple of weeks ago when I presented the gospel using the three circles, and it's going to appear on the screen. If you remember, I asked you a question. I said, where are you in these three circles? Remember that? That's how I ended it. I said, now where are you? Are you in the circle that says gospel? Have you come to believe in Jesus Christ? Are you recovering and pursuing God's design for your life? Or are you up there in sin and brokenness, trying by your own efforts to make your life better and falling short? That's what you want someone to come away with from a gospel conversation. And so that means you've got to ask questions. And you have to listen And trust God, as Paul said in 2 Timothy, trust God to use that conversation to awaken the other person to the knowledge of God so they can come to their senses, repent of their sins, and trust in Christ. And that also, when you ask questions and listen to what other people have to say, it communicates to them that you genuinely care about them. Not just what you have to say, but you really care about what they have to say. And that's the third thing I observed from this story, that Jesus showed genuine concern. It's one of the things that shocked this woman, was that Jesus, a Jewish man, was taking the time to even talk to her, to look her in the eye, to treat her as a person of worth and value. Jesus took the time to really see her, to get to know her. In fact, she was uncomfortable Because she wasn't used to someone genuinely caring about her. Our witness must begin with a heart of compassion for the people in our lives. The people that God brings into our paths. Because honestly, this isn't just a cliche. People won't care about what you have to say unless they believe you care about them. We need to have genuine concern. And number four, Jesus faithfully explained the gospel to her. Jesus was intentional in this conversation. He wasn't just shooting the breeze. 
to pass the time waiting for the disciples, he set out to engage this woman with the truth of the gospel. He began this conversation with the end in mind. Because guess what? A gospel conversation is only a gospel conversation if we talk about what? The gospel. That's right. Now, does that mean that every gospel conversation ends with the plan of salvation and you praying with someone to receive Christ? No, it's not. But it means that every gospel conversation is saturated with gospel truth. That it points the other person to Jesus. Now, our hope is that we will have that opportunity with someone to help them know how they can have the hope that we have. We, we want to be able to eventually explain to someone how they can experience the freedom of forgiveness, the power of a transformed life through Christ. But to get there, we have to have a plan in place. We have to have a plan for how we're going to take any old conversation like Ben was talking about with, you know, with the Frisbee and the umbrella and the bag of cheese puffs. If you'll save those for me, by the way, I'd appreciate that. Um, to be able to take any conversation like that and turn it into a gospel conversation requires a plan. But that doesn't mean there's a one-size-fits-all approach either, okay? That's not what I'm saying. Jesus never approached two people the same way. If you look back at John chapter 3, when Jesus had a gospel conversation with Nicodemus, he didn't talk about water. He wasn't at a well. He talked about the wind. He talked about being born again. Jesus never healed two people the same way. Jesus knows that everybody's different. Everybody's story is different. And so he would change his approach. The gospel never changes. But our approach to sharing the gospel must change because we all have different stories. And we have to engage different people in different ways. We can always try to find common ground. We can always start with the things that you can agree on and you can relate to, which is what Paul meant in 1 Corinthians 9.22 when he said, I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. Or as Greg Laurie says in his book, Tell Someone, Jesus calls us to go fishing for men. And that means we use different kinds of bait for different kinds of fish. Right? So we need to... We need to Look at having a tackle box full of different kinds of bait. We need to have different kinds of rods and reels. As we go fishing for men and women, not everyone fishes the same way. And we change our approach deciding on the, depending on the fish that we're trying to catch. So for some people, a marked New Testament is a great thing. Because it's right there. All the, all the verses you would need to share Jesus are right there in that New Testament. It's got helps in the front and in the back that can guide you in walking somebody through a gospel conversation. At the end, you can just give it to them. If you run out of time, you don't have time to really go into it with them, you can say, please take this and read it. And my, my name and number is in the back if you have any questions. It's self-contained. It's self-explanatory. For others, a simple, drawn-out gospel pre presentation like the three circles. Because you can do it on a scrap of paper. You can do it on a napkin at a restaurant. You can take a booklet and hand it to them, or you can use an app if you want to be high-tech. A gospel conversation that you draw out for somebody is simple. It's reproducible. It's something that person could then use, hopefully someday, to share the gospel with other people. Last night, I used a different one. I didn't use the three circles because I was talking to children. So I used a different drawing to explain the gospel that I thought would be better suited to them. So that maybe is your your bait. And all of us have a rod and reel that is our story. Our personal story, as Bob shared his testimony, you, if you're a follower of Christ, have a testimony, and we need to be masters at sharing our story with other people.
So I want to conclude with just a couple of tips on having a gospel conversation. And we should always start, as we do with everything, with prayer, right? Specifically, I want to ask you to pray for Bob. Okay, pray for Bob. Not Bob Limley, although I'm sure Bob would say pray for me, right? We all, we all need prayer. Pray for Bob. Who is Bob? Bob starts with burden. Burden. We need to pray for a burden. That God would break our heart for the lost. That He would put a motivation within us. Listen, we'll never overcome our apathy. We'll never overcome that spiritual inertia to get up and to go and share the gospel if we're not praying and asking God to burden us for the people in our lives. Secondly, we pray for opportunities. An opportunity every day for a gospel conversation to happen. Again, if you're not praying for God to give you someone today to share the gospel with, if you're not praying for that gospel conversation, guess what? You're not looking for it either. You're not paying attention to it when it comes. And, and we often you know, pray and, you know, God, if it's your will, listen, it is always God's will for you to share the gospel. Amen? This is a prayer God wants to answer. So pray for an opportunity and then watch for it. And thirdly, boldness. When that opportunity comes, when that door is open, the boldness to walk through it. Or if somebody stands in the way, there's an obstacle in the way, the boldness to go up on the roof and to what? Dig a hole and get in however you need to get in to share the gospel with somebody. Listen, Satan does not want you to share the gospel, right? And he's going to keep you busy. He's going to keep you distracted. He's going to do everything you can to keep you from even seeing the opportunity. But if you do see that opportunity, you do see that open door, He's going to put an obstacle in your way. And nine times out of ten, that obstacle is fear. He puts doubts in your mind. What ifs? What if you mess this up? What if they ask you a question you can't answer? What if, you know, they're going to see right through you that you're a hypocrite? Right? That's what Satan makes you wonder about. So we've got to pray for the boldness to be fearless. And once we've prayed up for a lifestyle of gospel conversations throughout the day, every day, we can then use prayer as that open door of opportunity. And I call that care through prayer. Because if we want people to care about what we have to say, they have to know that we care about them. And there's a simple way you can help people know you care about them. That's to pray for them. To ask them if you can pray for them. Listen, that's something all of us can do, right? All of us can pray for people. So listen, maybe you're having a conversation with a coworker and they're talking to you about some health problems or something going on with their family and you ask them, to, can I pray for you about that? 99.9% of people are going to say what? Yes, of course, thank you. That would be great. And then when they do that, if you're able at that moment, you know what you say? Well, can I pray for you right now? And again, most people are going to say, sure. And you pray for them right then, and you end that prayer saying, in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Make it clear that you are praying for them in Jesus' name. Maybe you've got a classmate who's struggling academically. Pray for them before the test. Pray with them before they make their presentation. I'm, I'm, I'm practicing this. I'm working on getting better at doing this every time. Sometimes I, I get distracted and I fail to do this. But I try to always, when I'm at a restaurant and the server comes up to me, to say at some point before we order the food, say, by the way, when the food comes out, my wife and I or you know, whoever I'm, I'm having lunch with, you know, we're going to pray for our meal. Is there anything that I can pray for you about when we pray? 
And I've never had a server tell me no or nothing or I don't want you praying for me. They all have this surprise look and say, oh, that'd be great. And they'll usually say a family member or something, you know, a better job. I don't, I don't know. They, they ask for me to pray about something. <clears throat> and, and I do. Listen, just the other week, um, Julie and Abby and I were at a Japanese restaurant in Augusta that we had been, that Julie and I had been at a couple of months before, I think maybe back before Christmas. And we hadn't had the same server. Julia recognized him. And we had prayed for him. We'd asked him that and prayed for him. And he said, yeah, I want you to pray for my daughter. She's, she's a teenager and I'm just having some troubles with her. So we're sitting there and Julia recognizes him. And I'm like, oh, that's right. We prayed for his daughter. So when he came back to the table, I said, Jeffrey, I said, we were here back before Christmas and we asked you if we could pray for you about something. And you mentioned your daughter. How, how are things going with your daughter? And he teared up. He said, nobody has ever done that to me before. Nobody has ever done that. And, he just, and every time he came back to the table and we talked, he just got emotional. And we, we prayed for him again. I mean, it just, I mean, that shows you care. That opens up a door for a broader conversation with somebody. Something as simple as praying. And then if you have time, after you pray for them or with them, if that door seems open, share your 30-second testimony. Now, if you look in your notes, I want to very briefly walk you through this. We're running out of time. But you start off, and we heard some examples of this last week. You start off by saying something like, there was a time in my life, and then you say something. I've got two blanks right there, okay? But you might think of one or two things. But maybe you can relate it back to the prayer request this person just shared with you. You know, if they shared with you a prayer request about having a hard time in their marriage or whatever, you might say, you know, there was a time in my life when I didn't get along with people and, and I found that I was kind of destructive in my relationships. And, you know, don't make something up, but maybe you've got some way you can connect your story about your life before Jesus to this person and what's going on with them. But it's a simple, simple one-sentence statement. And then you say, but then I came to know Jesus and that He alone can give, and then you'll see two blanks there under the under that cross. So you fill that in with whatever it is you discovered that Jesus could do for you. And you say, so I began to follow Him as the Lord of my life and He forgave me and He gave me peace. He gave me a relationship with God. He, whatever it is, again, that He is the answer to whatever it was in your life that was missing, that was, that was a trouble. And then you tell about your life after coming to know Jesus. That's the, the two lines to the right there. And, and saying, but now that I have come to know Jesus... He is the Lord and the Savior of my life. Now, I have blank and blank in my life. And again, you want to connect that back to what you were talking about your life before Jesus. They should be mirror opposites of each other. For example, for me, I would say there was a time in my life where I thought that following the rules and being religious, going to church, that that was the the source of peace and, and helping me to deal with the sin in my life. But then I came to realize that it wasn't based on what I know or what I do, but what on Jesus does. And so I gave my life to Jesus Christ and experienced forgiveness of my sins. And ever since then, I I now have peace and joy because I have a right relationship with God. And I understand it's about relationship, not about religion. So that's it. That's a a 15, 30-second testimony that you can share. And after you share that simple statement, I mean, you can say it all in one breath. Then you ask them, do you have a story like that? And then listen to what they have to say. Maybe ask some questions to clarify. Seek to understand their story. Don't judge them. Don't critique them. Just listen to them. You might have an opportunity to unpack some more of your story as you engage in, again, this is a conversation, right? It's a conversation. 
And hopefully you'll have an opportunity to ask another question. Maybe you'll have an opportunity to say, can I show you something that has helped me make sense of my faith in the world around me? And then maybe that will give you an opportunity to draw those three circles or to walk them through John 3.16 or the Roman road or whatever simple and effective gospel tool you're familiar with and comfortable with. And then after you explain the gospel, these are in your notes, ask them a few other questions. Where do you see yourself in this? Where would you like to be? What's keeping you from getting there? And maybe you can ask them, would you like to turn from your sin right now and trust in Jesus so you can pursue and recover God's good plan for your life? Listen, y'all, gospel conversations don't have to be complicated. They don't have to be confrontational. They need to be natural so that God can take them and do something supernatural in that person's heart. Can you do this? Let me ask you, can you pray for Bob? Let me ask, can you care for other people through prayer by simply saying, hey, how can I pray for you today? Can you do that? Can you seek an opportunity this week to have a gospel conversation? Can you imagine with me the harvest that God will reap if there are 200 gospel conversations happening this week in McDuffie County? Amen? Can you imagine the celebration on Baptism Sunday we could have? Can you imagine the celebration happening in heaven if that were to take place? You can do it. With the power of the Holy Spirit, you can do it. This morning, as I've said the past few Sundays, maybe today is a part of your gospel story. Maybe today is the day for you to turn from your sin and to trust in Jesus Christ. I'm going to stand down right here as we sing. I invite you to come and place your trust in Christ for salvation. Maybe you've already done that, but you've not demonstrated it through baptism. And you want to say, David, I want to be obedient to Jesus. I want to follow Him in baptism. Maybe you're a baptized believer, but you're a member of another church. And God has brought you here to worship and to serve and to grow with us. And you want to say, you know, I want to make it official. I want to commit me and my family to being all in at First Baptist Thompson. Whatever God has placed on your heart, would you come in obedience this morning as we stand and sing?